Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. This week, I'm talking to Safia Koreshi, award-winning architect, innovation designer, and educator. She is also the founder of Club Zero, a company that set its sights on building the infrastructure for sustainable food and beverage consumption. It's a really interesting new business model. Safia has won a variety of awards, including top prize winner for Club Zero from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, Closed Loop Partners as a Next Gen winner, and Fast Company's Best UX Design in 2019. As you can tell from these credentials, Safia is an extremely bright and driven individual with an intense curiosity for a number of sectors and subjects. Our conversation goes from the evolution of cities and transitioning from an architect to an entrepreneur to the challenges of balancing business ownership with motherhood and her plans for Club Zero's global expansion. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, Safia, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Hi, Warren. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you on the podcast. Really intrigued to learn a little bit more about your journey, your story, everything that's been happening in your world. But um, for our listeners, I suppose we should just start with explaining to our listeners a little bit about Mm. Club Zero and how the concept was developed. Well, it's it's, uh, it's no overnight success, so that's always what I like to start with. Uh, I think, um, as, as most business owners know, um, you've got to think, you know, the long game. So I, uh, my background is I'm an architect, um, and for most of my early, you know, sort of chapter one, as I like to call it, um, I spent my time building wonderful buildings everywhere, designing them, getting them delivered, working with complex teams, um, you know, really, really deepening my understanding of uh, construction, the built environment and placemaking. So yeah. that's my DNA is to design for well-being at scale. I'm, I'm okay. very much interested about cities, about how we evolve and, you know, for me, that journey naturally then collided with, well, what do we do for um, forward thinking into the future and how how do we apply, well, how do I apply all my learnings into answering some really big questions such as yeah. things that hit all of us and that impact all of us. Um, and I started to, I guess, lean into uh, projects which I could very loosely develop in my studio. So interestingly, Club Zero started off as a project in my studio, I spun it out um, as business now, right? So it was a a side project. It was not what I had thought would take up my life. 
Um, and you could say it was off off topic in some ways. You know, people ask me this a lot. Well, what's an architect doing designing infrastructure? And, mm. that, you know, in some ways, I think that's very, very normal. So just to tell everybody here what Club Zero is, we are a, a returnable packaging system. It's a reuse yeah. system. And what we uh, wanted to do was to develop up essentially a way that enabled consumers to um, opt into reusable packaging and be able to return them at convenient network of drop points or conveniently return them from home um, and have a way out or a way away from single-use packaging. So we're basically eliminating single-use packaging for some major brands and corporations and we have partnerships in place now. Um, but this started off as, you know, literally pen, pen to paper sketch yeah. as a light bulb moment and uh, you know the, the journey started in 2015 so that's what i w- want to sort of emphasize no overnight success it took a long time for the market to catch up with my vision which yeah pretty pretty early <laughs> yeah so yeah i mean crumbs you're nearly seven years or some at some point this year you'll be seven years into that journey so yeah. that yeah that not an overnight success and sometimes if you know people look at the brands and look at what's happening there is this perhaps anticipation that things have happened at the click of the fingers, yeah. That's but it doesn't, exactly. does it? But so what yeah. was early days? Mm. Obviously, I, I assume at the time you were working still as an architect, exactly. designing places. Yeah. So what were those early days like? From that moment you kind of created the idea, the thought that you know this returnable packaging piece could work. Yeah. You know, what were the early days like for you, Safia? They were very awkward. Um, I mean, with and I mean awkward generally because you're you're going through a transition. You, as an individual um, who had trained as an architect, it's very different to then transition to an entrepreneur. Mm. These are two very different roles and mindsets. One uh, is a service economy business where you have a client, you have a brief. Sometimes you might put the brief together. You have a budget. You have a vague timeline when do they need it by. And then the other is you've got to figure out who the client is. You've got to figure out how much it costs. You've got to figure out what the product is. You've got to figure out who might want to buy it, at what price. And these are very, very different roles. And so I think the first thing is, you know, I always knew – from an early point that I a wanted to create value through something of my own that was clear and I have had uh, family you know in my in my family I've had you know businessmen and my grandfather and my great-grandfather and so you know but I never directly was trained underneath them so it's not like I grew up reading the FT every morning um but I, I guess I knew in my mind that at some point I'd like to make that leap. So in the first early days, it was very awkward. It was very uh, all about the unknowns. It was self-discovery. It was self-training. It was understanding, well, what are the new skills that I need, hmm. which are different, which I, which I don't have, and then which are the skills that clearly are amazing and they're going to be my secret weapon because – Others won't have this at all. And so I was very self-aware. It was about asking yourself those questions and opening your yourself to um, a period of uncertainty where it comes to financials. I was moonlighting, which is always, you know, it's tough. Yep. It's, it's exhausting, but that's how you start. Um, I was running my studio. I was also working full time. I was doing these projects as part of the studio. You know, this is what you do in your early 30s. You're just 
this is the time when when am I going to do it? So um, it was a it was an interesting experience, and I got to the you know I don't think you ever get to the other side that that takes a whole lifetime, right? Yeah, it's a lifetime of grafting and skilling yeah. up, and um, I could feel as I went more and more into it, I got better and better at it, and I understood the game which um, is required. And I started to build my network around me, which were very inspiring people in tech. And um, for the listeners here, our reuse system is, you know, when you think about reusable packaging, this isn't new. We've seen the likes of beer bottles and all of this sort of different types of reusable packaging. But what I realized was there wasn't an agnostic system which was run with technology, which enabled you to provide this um, across brands agnostically. You had lots of brands doing it for themselves and you had no no way of being able to provide it as a, you know, across food and beverage. It was very like siloed into specific drink types and hmm. wasn't really working. And so technology was a big part and architecture uh, and, and, and training as an architect exposes you to all sorts of industries, but not so heavily into tech. No. So I really had to learn who that community is which and then where is the best community in the tech space um and then also understand how do you fundraise um yeah these are all topics we definitely are going to cover off in our conversations happy about i've got so many questions i mean the first is an observation i suppose is and i've been there and i've done it is selling professional services you know in contrast to developing a product and selling a product services is so much easier (laughs) Well, one's a startup, the other is a service, right? That's the, yeah. the definition. But day one of a yeah, yeah, day one of a service business, you can bill a client. Yes, you can. Day one of it's a very, product business. Very nice. yeah. yeah. Day one of a product business, there is no product, and you've got to invest in developing. You've got to have so much more faith, I think, you yeah. know, to develop a product business than you have a services business. Uh, yes, yes. And 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 also with us, we, you know, one thing that I realized very quickly is, um, you know, you're going into uh, an environment, which is technology, which where they favor software businesses as well. Mm. So they don't really like to invest in physical, physical things. So that's another key learning. Um, SaaS products are much more favorable. Um, because they they don't sit on balance sheets and you know you don't need capital okay. expenditure. It's it's you know they they feel those models are more repeatable. Um, even though ironically, you know the whole premise of Silicon Valley really came to life off the back of you know uh, chip manufacturing. So there's Intel mm. and this is all hardware. These are physical things. But today it's it is slowly changing. But vast majority of financing we're very much leading towards software. So I kind of had to run into that and find, again, the the niche niche financiers of that particular type, what, what I'm looking for. So it's it's a journey for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And was there a time, you know, can you remember the time where you thought, I'm in this? I mean, clearly from day one, you're in, but there's a time when I'm going to go fully in and the architectural business will drop away. I mean, that it's right. a leap of faith moment. When did that happen? Uh, when we got our first amount of funding in. Like I, okay. I had said, so one thing that I was advised on very earlier on with um, some from some friends of mine who are in the startup space is 
never leave your day job until you can support yourself. There are a couple of reasons why. First of all, you put way too much pressure on your startup if you have no day job. (laughs) It sounds like it's counterintuitive because in your head you're thinking, but I don't have the headspace to build my startup. No, you have to carve away headspace to build a startup to keep your day job because what will end up happening is you will get so frustrated if a startup isn't picking up quickly in time, if it's not returning your investment in time, if the market's not moving in time, you will get frustrated, you will end that journey and you will only revert back to what you were doing before. Mm. So the first and most important teaching from um, friends uh, who, who, who I absolutely love and cherish who are in the startup space and tech is make sure that you are not applying that pressure on your on your startup because it's very Great early. Advice. Yeah. Great advice. Exactly. And and so whenever I, you know, whenever I hear people say I've quit my job and I've started this new venture and can't wait to get stuck in, I in my head I'm thinking I'm giving them three months. Yeah. Um, and they will they will either completely drop it or they will realize I need to get I need to keep a job in tandem I need to moonlight and yeah. so yeah. they have to do it the other way around don't they and yes. actually yeah if you've got a job that pays well stick at it yeah you, and you've trained well and you've you've concentrated yes. on that don't give it up because like as you say there's very few overnight successes is that there? there are some but yeah there's very few of them and the rest there are hard slog yeah and it's like jumping boats. So if you're, you know, if you're dry, if you're, if you're, you know, chasing a boat, you're, you know, you're, you're going to try and get as close to the boat that you're chasing to be able to jump from one to the other, right? You're not going to stop your boat, park it, say bye to everyone, and then hope you're going to catch this boat that's like, you know, speeding away. Yeah. But that's just not, that's a real, that's, that's a sort of more kind of visual way of describing it is. Uh, make sure that those two things are happening. So yeah, so that's 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 one thing that I did. I, I kept that all going. And when we got our first financing in in 2017, we won quite a prestigious award from um, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, who are the pioneers of the circular economy. They've you might have heard of them. They yeah. um, they basically they awarded us with the New Plastics Economy Prize, um, which meant we we. After that, we had about 100k US dollars in the bank, and we could start to develop up our first product, hire new people, um, and start to figure it all out. And that's when I stopped officially working for anything else, and I drew the line, and that was it. This is it. I'm in. In, in. (laughs) Committed. (laughs) So that was 2017. And if I'm right, you started with coffee cups. Is that right? Is that that your first kind of service product offering? Yeah. coffee cups yeah yeah we've recognized that there's certain archetypes of uh packaging that need to exist in reuse and what we wanted to do was you know sort of start with the one which is the highest by volume that would be the easiest to demonstrate a reuse system around um and so we launched and initially we were called cup club we did over half a million orders and then we rebranded to Club Zero and launched that in September 2021 and moved into food um, and then announced all our partnerships subsequently as well. So, yeah, so now we're over a million orders and et cetera. So that's how we we're sort of we recognize that, again, simplifying your product range is really important. You know, just doing one 
yeah. understanding the dynamics of what it looks like with one and then when you're comfortable starting to Scale. introduce yeah starting to introduce more it's interesting and so just from my understanding as much as how does the model work who owns the reusable packaging is that you as a business or is that the consumer or is that the kind of shop or the retail outlet that's using it how does that work so we own our own product lines anything that has club zero on it is owned by club zero we okay. use our own packaging all the ip is ours we design everything in-house we engineer everything in-house and we have a trusted factory and supply chain set up to to manufacture so what we did in the early stages was to create these archetypes so we created the 12 ounce best-selling cup size and lid and we were able to basically go into the market without having to wait for customers to say yes to you know um investing in capex or we just wanted to remove all the barriers we just thought we needed a product line that we could introduce without anyone having to put any upfront yeah. costs into it. Um, so these product lines we own. However, the system that it's developing now will be an open system, meaning that where we have third-party packaging that can still work through our reuse system, it can be returned to our drop point network, but we don't own that packaging, but we will service right. it. So it means that there are certain product lines that sit on our balance sheet, yes, uh, inventory that we have to purchase and and um, show depreciation for and yeah. all, of those, all of those things um, and the same with our drop point um, drop point development which enable the, the consumer to conveniently return packaging those are also ours we develop those in-house and we own those and what's the incentive for me, the consumer, to return the packaging if it's your asset? Well, you, yeah, you register. So okay. with any reuse system or any borrow system, think of, you know, e-scooters, city bikes, okay. uh, books from libraries, anything which requires you to borrow something, you have to register. So part of that registration process, you download Club Zero, you, um, you might find, you know, in the next quarter, you'll find Club Zero available already on other apps so you won't even have to download our app you will be able to use other apps and uh, consent to to club zero's packaging in those um and through that process we are able to take information such as your name your email and save your payment details on file um the service is free for you to use we don't charge the consumer we're a b2b yeah um uh, but in the event that you don't return the packaging within 30 days, then we have a way of charging you for it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So very unique in its kind of adaptation and, and its route to market. And I suppose that comes back to, you know, do you see yourself as a B2B service business? Or, you know, you've talked about tech and the fundraising aspects. Or do you see yourself as a tech business? Oh, well, we, we sell B2B. We're, yeah. We look at the journey. It's B2B to C because we our product is still held by a consumer in the end. So we still have to appeal and make everything aesthetically appealing and the brand speaks to the consumer, but we sell to um, restaurants and cafes and, you know, quick service restaurants, etc. cetera. Um, we work with um, distribution or, or logistics companies. So we have a partnership with Just Eat, which help us distribute they bring pipeline, they introduce us to some of their big clients, et cetera. So that's great. 
Um, so that for us is a, is a key component. Um, we are a tech company in the sense that everything that we have built is proprietary to us. So we don't use any tech software. We, I mean, that's not true. We use a lot of tech software, but mostly the likes of Google and um, yeah. payment platforms such as PayPal, who save, uh, who are embedded in our technology, who are able to capture and save the payment information because we don't we don't save that on our on our servers. Um, but the entire tracking system to track the packaging because every item that exists that is reusable is um, provided with a unique identifier, which means we can track where it is across the whole supply chain, and so. At any given point, we know where inventory is. We know how many items a consumer has. We know what volume is with hosts and restaurants. And yeah, it's a really well well built system. Yeah. All uh, technology platform that's owned by Club Zero. Fantastic. Yeah, great description of the business model. I can understand it now. And is one of your challenges there for? Are you primarily in one city at the moment, or I mean, is geographical spread and reach? Yeah. The next challenge that you face. Yes. So this year, um, we've, and you might have seen our crowdfunding campaign, we've, yeah. we've launched um, and we've got 440 investors now um, in there, which is great. Uh, we're, we're overfunded, so 130% okay. overfunded. So definitely um, have a look on Cedars for Club Zero and, and join us. As we're only halfway through the campaign, so there's still time. Um, to to buy shares and own a piece of business, and the, the the that funding is going towards us being able to expand this across London. We're very much a city by city focus expansion, so we don't have regional growth, partly because this is operational. We need to keep operations optimized within a certain you know sort of radius. Um, so 2022 is mostly growth across London. And getting to a target of about 14,000 orders a day, which is going to put us on a path to uh, 1.8 million in revenues. And then 2023 onwards, we will be fundraising for that for international expansion. So it's replicating what we have here to other cities. And yeah. London's a great city because it's it's got you know all the hallmarks of what you expect of global cities. So if you can do it here, you can you can definitely replicate it in most yeah. cities. So that's our next plan. Yeah, fantastic. And I'd like to talk about the fundraising because obviously, you know, the initial fundraising got you into the business full time, as we've discussed and explored. And was that friends and family? Was that business angels? You know, where did that initial funding come from? So this was grant funding that we received from the EMF, non-dilutive. Yeah. After that, we started to fundraise in 2018 from um, VCs, so venture capitalists, as well as angels and within people within our networks so of friends and family, mostly who are in the banking space or investment space. So we have um, a blend of all of those on our cap table. We have some of the best uh, VCs in Europe, including Seedcamp, who um, famously invested early in the likes of Revolut and TransferWise, Hopin, a whole number of other big uh, scaling scaling startups. So um, I would say it's a combination. Um, and we raised to date, before this crowdfunding campaign, we've raised 1.2 million US dollars. Um, and yeah, we, we will be looking to raise anywhere between 10 to 50 million in the next 
uh, year or so. So it's I've kind of gotten used to this mindset of you will you're always fundraising. I, I used to have to ask that. Yeah, I used to have this I, concept where I thought you could have you know you could have pauses um, where you'd focus on fundraising, fundraise, and then you know be able to focus back onto the business. But I I think the reality is that you are always always fundraising literally after even after this round i will be on to the next yeah um that's just it that's the reality and and speaking to a lot of other founders and entrepreneurs that are going through the fundraising and particularly in the way in which you are with the vcs and using crowdfunding platforms they find that could be quite a distraction from the day-to-day so how yeah. any hints and tips of how you've managed to build the business focus on the concept and still successfully fundraise ah i mean it's it's just i think the less you fight it the better so i spent a long time being very agitated about the fact that i couldn't do um you know the, the things that i felt i wanted to be doing whilst i was fundraising now i've just sort of tried to divide my time and create more of a of a balance. I think um, it helps when you started to build out your team because you can mm-hmm. you can really, you know, if you've built the trust, you can really start to feel like you can move slowly away from certain parts of the business. They don't all need constant feeding. So, and as intuitively, you will know at that different stages of time based on activity, you'll know which parts of the business require more of your, more of you to lean in. So sometimes it's more on the ops uh, sometimes it's more on the um, the product, just because you get to certain life cycles of your product and you realize, okay, now we're into the next tranche of product development. So you have like bursts of it. You don't necessarily need to be there managing the whole thing. You can allow your team to take over that. So the one thing that my team can't do is fundraise. Yeah. And so that's that's definitely one thing that I've um, I guess understood more and more has a practical implication on 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 the company's liquidity. So, what I do is block up Mondays where nobody can really take up any meeting time, and I make sure that that's just purely dedicated to finance of any sort, whether it's calls with investors, whether it's me looking at our numbers, whether it's me uh, strategizing about how much, whether it's me even just looking at growth sales and seeing is this a good time to go speak to investors because we've now reached the growth milestones? It's things like that, that I've tried to at least okay. carve out my calendar so that I don't, you know, miss out on having dedicated time. Yeah. So, and I suppose that's generally about discipline, isn't it? And I like that phrase, just, you know, it's not something that you thought you're going to have to do, but just lean into it, take it on, accept it. It's yeah. on your shoulders. Yeah. 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 It's the path. The investors need to hear and see your passion and belief in the business, don't they? Yeah, and you know the thing is, like, you can't, like I said, you can't really. Nobody else can do that piece. Other people can do marketing. Other people can do product. Other mm. people can do ops. Um, I still do a bit of the sales. I'm bringing in more people to focus more on the sales. Again, I will have some support on the on fundraising, but not in any way where um, I'm definitely going to be the front. You know, I might have someone helping me on the admin side, but I definitely have to think of all of the, the front end stuff. So, um, and it's, it is, it has to come with the business. Liquidity is the most important thing. Otherwise you never get what you want done. So that has to come from sales or it has to come from investment. 
Yeah, no, definitely. And we'd like to just explore with you. Obviously, built a team around you. Yeah. I mean, that's a relief when you're able to do that as a business owner, particularly. You know, a very you know lean startup means that you know you you haven't got the team. Yeah. Um, any thoughts and hints and tips on building a team going through that kind of startup? Oof. It's one of the hardest things. Um, I think fundraising and team building are, are genuinely the two hardest things. What I have learned is uh, my best hires have been recommendations or people directly coming to me, so inbound, not mm. hiring through, um, you know, posting job alerts and going through that process. I have done that two or three times in a really, uh, and had really bad results. So what I generally tend to look for are three key things. These are the sort of defining things of, of great people is they should, and they don't have to have all of these three. It's good if they have at least two. If they don't have any, you've got the wrong person. So, um, and so that's, you know, one of them is, uh, do they have drive and hustle? So if they are knocking on your door saying, we really love what you're doing um, and really want to be a part of this. Here's my CV. That's a great sign. The second is that they're really smart. So if they're also pitching to you, have you thought about this thing for your, for your sales opportunity or growth? Like, I think this would really work for you. It, it's an idea. I just wanted to contact you and just say, you know, all the best, love what you're building. So if they've also put that in there, that's a really good sign. Um, and then the third is that they they genuinely work very hard. So they have a great work ethic and they they know how to, you know, move things, push things. So I would say that these are these are my three key things that I look for. And you don't always find all three, um, but I find that usually the ones who who chase me, who have chased me in the past or who people have directly said, Sefia, you need to speak to this person is has been a long, long game, long term team uh, member who I have cherished. And the others have fallen away because, you know, they, they simply just uh, you know responded to a job ad and they kind of yeah. they, they, they did all the things that they were they thought they should do is, you know, talk about why they're interested. But, you know, they're just looking for a role and it, it could be you or anywhere else. It doesn't really matter. And they. Yeah. So that's motivation is, is really key. Um, so that's what I look for. But it's hard. It's one of the hardest things I have to admit. So, Safia, I mean, successful startup coming out of professional life, running the kind of business on the side of a kind of coming out of running the studio kind of side of things. And it's always that challenge, isn't it? Between that kind of people call it work life balance. But I'm sure when you're running a business, there's no such thing. But the key question for me is, you know, what effect has running the business had on you as an individual from a personal perspective? Yeah, I mean, very transformational in, in the sense that you, you know, when you're first starting off, I definitely had a bit of, you know, imposter syndrome um, where you ask yourself if you're if you're good enough, you ask yourself if you're going to win, you ask yourself, you know, lots of really hard questions and you judge yourself really um along along very unrealistic <laughs> unrealistic way of, of thinking so there's a lot of that to to deal with and and um get rid of which there are actually lots of really great exercises to to do that 
Um, so the first, the first thing is just you know adapting to the mindset of an entrepreneur, getting comfortable with a lot of unknowns and uncertainties, and you know, just riding with them because they they don't leave you. It's not like you mm -hmm. go through a very certain period of time. It's it's actually you know the next worry is just around the corner. So so there's a bit of shifting in terms of your comfort levels. Um, you have to be very you know very very much open to taking risks. Um, things won't be as obvious as they seem and and managing that with everybody you know as well I mean it's a very lonely journey in some ways because you naturally you, you know I have a very very supportive other half but you know I'm not I don't want to burden him with all of the ins and outs of every everyday you know uh, occurrences either so you, you have to kind of self self um manage all the sort of chaos that might be going on in in building a business and things are not going right but keep your kind of emotional well-being um also balanced and in a way where you're able to communicate but um give everybody their fair share of you because naturally what happens is you you end up absorbing a lot of your time into your business you don't you forget at some point oh gosh i've got to you know i've got to invest in all my relationships not just yeah. my relationship with my business and that includes your family your friends your um you know your, your loved ones and so there was a sort of a moment where i probably went into one direction and realized that okay i've you know not spoken to half my friends in like a year <laughs> um <laughs> like that's a bit extreme it. isn't it yeah yeah and it happens and you know even till yeah. today i sometimes you know when i do catch up you know we're much better now in the sense that a there's a bit more um you know realistic conversations happening where i say you know i'm so sorry for being such a terrible friend because i'm just not as present as i used to be and that's simply because i just don't have the same kind of time i used to and um this is something you also have to get used to you you, you know when you when you do generally um join the world of entrepreneurship you you find that your your free time is quite finite and you want to mm. spend that with your closest your nearest and dearest so your very sort of extensive network of friends sort of dissipates into a very condensed immediate cohort um that's mm. surely i mean that's what i found as well through through going through the pandemic naturally did that i think to everybody so there are lots of adjustments i think in your personal life and then of course um you know if you're a female founder you're also building a family alongside supporting and building a business so there's that to consider how do i um you know how do i balance those two so in 2019 i had um sasha who's my uh, who's now almost three and that was you know that was an intense period for for us mm. because we were a first year into trading and we we had new people join the team and i had to sort of a rely on them managing things while i was gone for for a while and it didn't really work out very well and i had to sort of be back much much earlier in the process than i had wanted to and there were lots of um things that pulled me in lots of different directions we we won another award in, in the us which meant that i had to go fly to the west coast and um this is you know all happens at the same time and so it's it's really challenging if you're a woman and you're building a business that's scaling 
and it's a startup. Um, so, and if you reflect on that, because I think that is a big challenge, you yeah. know, and and that's an easy thing to say as a male, but I think, you know, you know, women that have these successful entrepreneurial careers and build great businesses, and your balance of being that and being a mum, and and particularly in those early years of a you know child's life when they're particularly there are babies, and yeah. when you reflect on your journey, is it? anybody that's listening to this thinking i'm going to be going into that place mm. anything you'd do differently if you had your time again or any lessons that you learned that you'd share yes so when um i mean when it's your number one you, you sort of you don't know what what is what's appropriate and what's not right you're you're sort of you, you're yeah. kind of getting a sense of it and um it's very hard to tell a woman what she should do um, a for anybody. I mean, it's very hard for a woman to tell another woman what she should mm. do, how she should manage herself, um, you know, in and around having children because it's so personal. And Absolutely. you don't want to, you know, you don't want, uh, you certainly don't want them to feel, especially when they're a business owner, to feel as though they have to make a choice. Mm. So this is what happened with with me. I felt... I felt like somewhere, like I wasn't, I had to make a choice of sort of stepping out of the picture. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an alpha. <laughs> I'm very much about being in there and very, very involved. I'm a very detailed person because I am an architect naturally. So I like to understand and I did set things up so that I could be, you know, a little bit removed. Um, but I, I struggled. I struggled to remove myself first of all. And what I could have done differently was to be a bit more demanding of my needs. I could have been a little bit more forthcoming with saying to people, "This is what I need. This is what um, I, I'd require you to do to fit my needs." And I didn't quite position my needs in that way. It was more a, a sort of scenario where I just thought. I have to remove myself as opposed to know the company mm. needs to adapt itself to my requirements. This is that's very- a really good that's a really good tip, isn't it? Because I, but then you don't always know what your needs are. But yeah. Which but is I, why I started with that. Exactly. So it's yeah. harder, it's easier now because I'm coming into my second uh, you know, my round two. Um, okay. so yeah, so I kind of, you know, I've already got better answers for how I want to have things. Um, But I would just recommend, you know, specifically for female founders is to speak to as many other female founders as possible to understand, you know, what could you do? I think and this is a problem that we have because I'm in I'm in many groups with other tech CEOs and we meet once a month and we talk about, you know, the good and the bad and the bad, as you described before. And um, you'd be amazed that, you know, the level of female empowerment around these topics are really not existent. So you don't have many female founders who <clears throat> feel that they can share their needs with their boards, right. with their team members, um, even with themselves openly. And I think that's the first step um, is to normalize that and to empower yourself as a female leader to say, you know, I'd like to take this much time off or, I'd like to be involved every day, but I'd like you to uh, come to mine and sit on my sofa while I'm at home with, you know, during my first three months because I don't want to leave and update me on on what's been going on. 
or you know or weekly yeah. or whatever um so i think you should be in a position where if you're running a business you should very much be able to articulate how you want to be uh, managing it beyond your immediate capabilities and ask for that brilliant some great thoughts and tips there i want to just so we round up talk about you've mentioned awards you know once or twice during the course of this conversation and you know, looking on the website, there's a number of awards you've won. And clearly that original award gave you the initial grant funding to yes. go full in on the business. So how, in what way do you think awards are important to a business? Well, it depends who's giving it. That's the most important thing. So um, you could, you know, you can self-apply for awards left, right and centre. So they're, you yeah. know, they're, they're vanity awards. There are certain industry awards which signal um, to customers or signal to brands um, that will validate what you're doing, that will create uh, weight in you as a business, that will create more trust. Those are very significant awards. And typically those awards are given by prestigious bodies. So, you know, for example, you're awarded with an MBE. Right. That's like a very yeah. prestigious award. People will revere that. It's from an established um, um, uh, sort of uh, awardee. And so you're, you're, you're looking at the prestige around that and it carries weight and it tells somebody about your business in a really good way. So versus, um, you know, award that you paid 250 pounds for and you, you know, you can click yeah. a bad or It's a sticky right? plaster award. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, so these are two different things. So when we won the New Plastics Economy Prize, I'll give you an example. It, um, we picked up the prize at Davos. We were in a room with all of the global leaders and CEOs of the biggest FMCG and uh, large businesses globally. Um, we were invited to meet with UN teams. We were suddenly, you know, from being a small startup and small idea to um, having people, you know, just constantly email us to say, this is fantastic, how can you, and from all over the world. So in some ways it was great. In other ways, it was, it was a bit too early. <laughs> Because, you know, you're not ready for international expansion. So someone emailing you yeah. from Japan is not going to be useful to you. So um, the industry recognition and the the caliber um, of the award is really important. So say that that's key for us. We don't put all our awards on our website. We've got a lot more, but they don't they don't make the list. <laughs> they don't make the grade. They don't make the grade. So so to wrap up a really enjoyable conversation Safia I, I, I always end with this question because and the number of you know probably this is podcast 110 111 and I think I've had a different answer every single time so what is your personal definition of success what does success mean to you Safia it's a very good question um and I ask this all the time it comes up it's actually a very contentious question because i think some people immediately assume that it's it's to do with money um or it's 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 yeah it's about capital but your if you have reached your purpose um you will have instant sort of gratitude for the world around you and so mm -hmm. success is fulfilling your purpose now it takes a while to understand what your purpose is because that, you know, you could find out your purpose from a very early age or it might be something that's revealed to you 
over a very long period of time. And when you achieve that purpose, you will feel successful. Now, for me, it's um, what's really important is that I have achieved something much, much bigger than myself. And I have left something that's going to create a legacy for others to enjoy, which has brought value to this planet and our people. That's that's my purpose. And so for, for me, the success would mean that I have... I have left that. So it's not even, it's, I would say it's beyond Club Zero. Club Zero is perhaps one component of it. You'll, you know, you don't want to just get to success yeah. in what you do. <laughs> you sell the business, you're like, okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lifetime yeah. journey. You have to feel successful till, you know, till, till you're grave. And so I think that's also an important thing. I think people sometimes pin success on selling a business and then they go into deep depression or mental health when they sell it because yeah. they don't know what the next marker of success is and yeah. and so i think you really got to think about it as a long game um and part of leaving that legacy is of course everything that comes in your personal life successful is all your relationships how you know how successful you are is how well your children are brought up and what models of society they follow. So, you know, while you're not there, while, you know, while you're not, you know, there sort of in the room with them, what do they, what do they do? And so a lot of these things come into legacy. It comes into your work, your personal, what you give back. Um, these are all markers of success. And I haven't for one moment talked about monetary <laughs> Um, at all in this, no. you can probably see, because I think if you, my natural instinct is people will be drawn to you if you give them something or if you provide and if you have have that impetus to bring people on your journey, you will create that energy that will bring you value and wealth and all of that happiness along the way. But um, I definitely see it as, a you know, a lifetime piece of work, which um, is centered around your purpose. Perfect. I love that. I love um, a couple of things I'd say on that. I think that sense of finding your purpose and understanding your purpose and yeah. fulfilling your purpose as being a definition of success is, yeah, I really like that. Um, that resonates with me, but, and I completely agree with the monetary one. I think you know, time and time again, you see those that have sold their business and think that's it. That's what they set out to achieve and are unhappy and and then finally, I would really agree with you. And I've, I think I've said it time and time again. I think for me, if you know, do what you enjoy, do what you love, do what you're great at, give value to others in what you do and in what your business does yeah. and fulfill the needs of others through your business yeah. and give them the commercial kind of return that they need. Money then flows. The, yeah. the wealth then flows as a consequence of running a great business and satisfying need. Yeah. If you focus on the money, the money doesn't usually come because you're not doing it with true value true integrity true purpose and um yes yeah, so i'd concur with that and i you put that lovely and succinctly find your purpose follow your purpose <laughs> achieve your purpose and that success i like that that has resonated that's my takeaway awesome. from this this thank episode you. so safia you have been a great guest thank you for your time thank you, thank you for being a guest on the evolved to succeed podcast podcast if people want to know a little bit more about you and the business and club zero where can they go yeah you can find us uh, at www.clubzero.co 
Um, you can definitely find us crowdfunding. So if you hear this up until the 10th or 11th of February, you can own a share in our business. So head on over to our website and it'll guide you through where to go. Um, and I'm on every social platform there is out there. So happy to exchange any views and thoughts um, from, from the audience. Fantastic. Thank you, Safia. Thank you for being on the podcast. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvedmembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.